0: SHUT sure.
1: Everybody. Welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Southwest Living Roadside Attractions, Dallas and Mescal. Today, I sit down and chat with one of the fine proprietors of Las Almas Rotas in Dallas, a brilliant Mezcaleria, Shad Kvecko. We sit down and talk about life, we talk about losing things, gaining things, running a business and trying to understand exactly how Mescal and Dallas will work together. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Chad Vecco of Las Almas Rotas.
2: Well, the thing is uh, technically a roadside, correct? Yeah. So Homer Tate is... was a very unique individual in that um he came from a mormon family oh i Uh, didn't know that yeah that was actually from poetry texas and they were pioneers they they came came to arizona and um settled there in safford the safford area yeah um and at some point in his life he just started making these uh what they call gaffs in the side gas yeah okay uh, which are just fake artifacts. And he would make shrunken heads and pygmy mud men, and he made the thing. You know, funny story about the thing. I, I wrote an article about it for Shocked and Amazed magazine years ago. And uh, one day at my house, I got a call from a congressional investigator, and <laughs> he was, uh, he uh, well, one of the, so at, at the thing, they pitch it as a Native American mummy. Oh uh, okay. Now, okay. because of the Native American Grave Protection and Repatriation Act, you cannot have legally anything that was dug from a burial site, a native American burial site. So the tribes were complaining about it and, um, they were doing a congressional investigation into it. I was almost subpoenaed to appear before Congress. And I just started laughing at the guy. And I said, you know, (laughs) I said, have you seen it? (laughs) First off, let me ask you this. Have you actually been down there to see the thing? Uh, and uh, I told him, I'm like, well, you're not gonna have to carbon date. The-. I'm like, just <laughs> cut it open and look at the date on the newspapers oh, uh, he had stuffed with. Because he would paper
1: mache, basically.
2: Yeah, he well, he he made his own paper mache. You know, he he would he would build an armature and then he would use uh, newspapers for the in- internal kind of bulking out of yeah. it. And then he uh, took toilet paper and mixed it with a horse glue oh, wow. and made his own paper mache for the thing. And for all of his things, I should say, um, and you know, then he would add in basically stuff he would find in the desert. Yeah. So there would be claws and whatever else. And uh, from what all, everything I've understood, and, and not a lot was ever said about him because um, the family, he was kind of the black sheep. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, he 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 was just a complete practical joker. You know, and uh, that's the biggest joke yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I told the guy, I was like. You know Homer Taylor would be laughing beyond the grave at this whole thing They're if he, their if tails, he thought yeah. that Congress was about to investigate the thing he would absolutely have loved that you know uh, so
1: it's 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 funny because for some reason I felt like because your handle some somewhere along the line it seems like you throw back to Marcel Duchamp mm-hmm. right a Dadaist kind yeah. of a kind of a joker right right and some of his art with the toilet and all this stuff but this this idea of antiques you were kind of born into this this thing this relics and and i feel like there is just that thread somehow kind of tying back to the past and collecting things and selling
2: things well you know um my father was an antique was an antique dealer um still weird saying that because he just passed but Mm -hmm. um he uh you know he came out of the counterculture of the 1960s he was the president of an outlaw motorcycle club back in the 60s in phoenix and you know it got to the point he had some kids you know and you know what do you do with your life well these guys didn't want to become squares and like you know wear a suit and tie and he got interested in antiques um but at that time you know he was interested in ephemera in old advertising you know uh that sort of thing and that's what like the traditional antique dealers who would do victorians and primitives would call junk you know they're like you guys just deal in junk So that's kind of where that whole designation of junk dealers. Now that's something to be proud of. um, And you see it everywhere. But back then, there wasn't a whole lot of people doing it. He was one of the pioneers in that. And, you know, as a kid, I remember meeting these, you know, larger than life characters that would come through that would basically just travel the country. And they were, you know, kind of had this gypsy lifestyle where they would go from here to there and just buy stuff along the way and find the most amazing thing. This is in the days before eBay, before these television shows, you know, this even before antique malls, Mm -hmm. you know, basically people, old people would, old men would gather stuff and they put them in their barns and we would take these summer road trips and go around the country and just dig through their barns and buy stuff. And it was, you know, at that point, all really incredible stuff. Um, but you mentioned Marcel Duchamp, um, to me, his whole idea of ready-mades, you know, really kind of ties into that because this stuff was never meant to be kept like the the old advertising, you know, you're taking something out of its context Mm -hmm. and, and making it something else. So you're making it art or something, you know, that's desirable. Right. Um, even though, you know, the old advertising wasn't very artistic, wasn't fine art. Um, so, you know, now you see like industrial artifacts that are displayed as kind of art or sculpture, yeah, absolutely. you know, there's something very sculptural of that. So that's always kind of interested me kind of taking stuff out of its context and, and making it something new. Um, and you know, I spent my whole life as an antique dealer, you know, that's what I've done. Well,
1: you, you know, given that it's repurposing the stuff. I, I love that concept where it kind of, it, it dies. It, for its commercial or consumer use, but then is kind of rejuvenated and resurrected as a piece of art that can actually live on for a long time. You fancy yourself to be an artist as well? Did you ever do any creation or painting I, or any of that? Not really. I no? mean, I, I
2: don't have really any artistic pretensions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I wrote, you know, I, I I've written you know articles and stuff like that. I'm not a great writer. Uh, um, I kind of. Actually, just stop because there's so much garbage out there. You yeah. don't want to add to the pile. Um, no, I, I'm not an artist. I, 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 you know, I, I don't really know what I am. Yeah, to I be honest. That.
1: But you, <clears throat> most of your life was spent though in Arizona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you find the aesthetic? Because I used to live in Scottsdale for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. And the one thing, and I, I always tell people, the one thing I really remember beyond the just countless amount of saguaros that are everywhere in the desert, which are beautiful mm-hmm. cactus. The monsoons. Oh yeah, the the purple lightning, the torrential downpour that is just sucked into the earth and it's gone before you even know it. The Biblical rains. Yeah, right. It's crazy. But is there something because it seems like the aesthetic that you have, whether it's your wardrobe or the connection to Mexico, which shares many same geographical pieces with Arizona, did you find yourself very connected to that Southwest landscape?
2: You know, I did, but I never really realized it until I'd left. Um, And I guess, you know, when you're in the middle of something, something you've always known, you know, I think we just don't appreciate things until Mm. we've gone elsewhere. But I think that when you're born in the desert, there's something about it that always calls back to right. you. And there's smells that you get there, like the creosote bush after a rainstorm. Yeah, like I yeah. always try to describe that to people. There's like nothing like the smell of the desert after a rainstorm. Some beautiful smell. Unless you've smelled it and mm-hmm. been there, you don't know what that is. Um, but, you know, there's... I mean, I'm not, you know... <laughs> I'm not uh, a new age type of person, but there's something mystical about the desert and and, and you see it as a recurring theme in a lot of religions sure. um, as well, and just going out into the desert and everything. And uh, I do, the aesthetics of it always appeal to me. Um, I love the Native American turquoise, yeah. jewelry, obviously, and um, artifacts. Uh, I've always been interested in, you know, the anthropology of the area. Absolutely. Um and and mexico yeah mexico definitely ties into that i mean the way you know these borders we have are are in our mind you know Mm -hmm. this is an ancient land that that was all one and when you're you know talking about north or south of the border there in the sonoran desert like those people you know they didn't see a border there yeah, you can't just that, yeah. put up a
1: border and say well no you can't be this way anymore right it just doesn't well you can try
2: <laughs> well i mean talking about big jokes right yeah you know yeah exactly so you know and I, and I think it's the same way in west texas as well yeah. i mean texas definitely has its own identity but when you get out there into the borderlands and it becomes so blurred with mm-hmm. you know with with the peoples and the cultures and stuff like that um, that's what always interests me is is i don't think there is any true pure culture um but definitely the fusions of cultures really, yeah i find unique and interesting it's a,
1: it's almost strange if you yeah if you were to talk about chihuahua and then just kind of travel north it's like a gradient mm-hmm. you know what i mean where these two color i mean maybe you could say literally colors but let's say cultures that they're kind of intermixed and then you go north and it just changes colors and it's 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 a continuum yeah. You know, and that, you know, back to the sentiment about a wall, that's why it's such a fucking foolish idea is to say that somehow that proves that you can separate cultures that are blended anyway. Anyway, it's,
2: yeah, it's a it's a puzzle. It's yeah, a joke. But a, it is a joke. a joke. It's a pure yeah. pure joke. And you know, um So yeah, the aesthetics of the deserts always always appealed to me. Um I love cacti and succulents. Yeah. I, I propagate them personally, I always have. Um and, you know, it's funny because in my career now and my passion now, you know, I grew up around agaves. Yeah, where, yeah. You know, since you've lived there, you know, you're surrounded by agaves. Right. And they were always part of my life as kind of a, a decorative, you know, landscape plant. Yeah. Uh, and, but I, I never realized how important they were to Mesoamerican cultures for millennia. Right. Both as food stuff and, you know, drink and later... You know, distilled spirits.
1: You, you know what's so strange is what I've found as I've get, gotten older is that the things that I sort of intersect, there I finally intersect with, so let's just say agave. Is, mm-hmm. To your point, I've been surrounded by it for so long. Mm-hmm. And I never really knew it in that way. Yeah. Right? As I grew and I matured, I understood what that agave gave to culture. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting thing about life. It's almost like a friend that you haven't kept in touch with, but then you see each other one day, and you're like, oh. Man, we were really good friends, and then you start to evolve, and you have these adult kind of conversations. So I feel like the art, the antiques, the sorry the agave and all these kinds of plants, it's all intersected in this latest chapter for you, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, it kind of has. I mean, that was my real value add to uh, the business is is literally sourcing things. I mm-hmm. mean, when we started Los Alamos, um we don't have investors. Oh wow! We funded it ourselves uh, between, uh, my wife and I and our other partner, um, we, you know, we put our asses on the line for sure. it. You know, we mortgaged, put a mortgage on, on our house and we all provided the money and, and, you know, so sourcing stuff, like we couldn't just hire a designer and, right. you know, to go out and buy stuff at retail prices or whatever. And, and I kind of think that's what's a little bit magical about the place as well is that or at least unique, is that it's not... It doesn't have a corporate polish to it. Right. You know? And, and that really kind of makes it... Um, if you've traveled throughout Mexico and and, and you go into these mescalerias and stuff, you know, it's it's a very make-do culture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them will, you know... I think the aesthetic of it is, is really similar to that. You yeah, know? It feel,
1: it, and it feels good. You know, one of the things that I've noticed with some of the mascarillas is that it's the white boarded notion of what a mescaleria would be like in mexico trying to reproduce that in the states right you know what i mean and it feels and so we were talking about mazante right mm-hmm. that place is one of the most beautiful bars super small beautiful is it beating you over the head with mexican pieces of pottery or artwork no right. it's just a cool fucking place to hang out they, they don't enjoy have the to they don't have to <laughs> well it's the same thing like 400 rabbits is the same way for yeah. It actually feels like a modern bar, mm-hmm. but it's a place you want to drink mezcal or right. other kinds of spirits. So what do you think why do you think that <laughs> is it a money thing is that why people kind of come in and say well this is what I think a mezcaleria would be like in Mexico so we're going to build it here.
2: Yeah, I'm maybe it's a money thing. Um maybe it's just you know, our we spent a lot of time thinking about it before we actually did it and um one thing we didn't want to do was Open a Mexican theme bar, yeah, right. Yeah, so we didn't yeah. want to have sombreros and big mustaches, and you know, and I, and I think that's c- kind of why we've been accepted mm. by so many in the community is that um, we didn't, ro- you know, we didn't push stereotypes. Yeah, and what's the pitch, point of that? You know, but you go into uh, so many places, you know, and that's know, that's dude. what you're gonna find. And it's and, not even
1: like that in the best places in the world. It's like what we. Th- thought it should look like without her having been there right but it doesn't it's not like that that's not how mizante feels it's not how any of these places
2: you know i think a lot of a lot of times those places come from you know they 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 need to again push the theme right it's like oh you're in a mexican restaurant you know what i mean so there's certain you know there's certain themes that you need to push and that was one thing we totally wanted to avoid you know um we wanted to open up a mezcaleria yeah. and um basically um to make it a reflection of what we had seen when we were traveling in mexico yeah and what we'd seen in contemporaneous mescalarias down there were basically spaces in very old buildings mm-hmm. um that but that had you know very modern Contemporary kind of design, but with very rustic materials. Sure, perfect. and you also found yeah. layers too. So you would see, you know, remnants of maybe a, an old hacienda or something, but these this modernism like kind of overlaid over that. exact
1: and, that you that is the the perfect point.
2: And it just made it so much more interesting to me. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think, or one of the reasons why like Mexico City is such a wonderful, interesting, and beautiful. It's like an eternal city. It's like mm-hmm. Rome. You know, you find these layers upon layers existing all at once. It's yeah. not like a city like Phoenix or Dallas, say, that looks like it was pretty much built all at once. You know what I yeah, mean? It's absolutely. Like you have all these ancient cultures. Unfortunately, in Arizona, you know, it's an ancient land that's had, you know, very sophisticated cultures there for millennia, yeah. but it's all gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're you know, the buildings are are were adobe. And you know, no written text. I mean, we just find remnants of that. Yeah, I mean, nobody knows who the really Anasazi even were, right? You it's know? like a
1: vapor of culture that we know is there, but
2: it, or, yeah. or an apparition. And know? what's cool is that it's the, the the reason Phoenix is there is because of the Anasazi and the Hohokam and the uh, irrigation canals they built right. off yeah. of the Salt River, which are still in use today, uh, expanded obviously, yeah. but. Um, some of those are, are were the basis for the irrigation system there. Um, and, you know, it was kind of like the Nile mm-hmm. River Valley, whereas it would flood every year and then deposit sediment, and, and it just became this very rich agricultural area. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, looking at the city now, you just see a modern
1: city. Mm-hmm. It's, And I won't name names, but one of the places I suggest... What we were kind of chatting about and passing that I wanted you to check out here in town. I think it suffers from the lack of modernism in design because that's something I loved about the y'all's mezquita is that it's got light. Mm-hmm. It's not dark. I mean, you have some very nice kind of nuanced space in the back where you can kind of have a little. But right, yeah. overall, the bar has those beautiful windows. You know, mm-hmm. it lets in so much light. And what it does is it reveals the modernness or modernism of the materials that you used, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas, actually, sometimes the absence of light totally removes your ability to notice the sheen of things. And that's another thing I think that's, you know, we're not necessarily talking about architectural build-outs and stuff, but that, that light's really, really very, very important. The sun, man, it's just a real key component to all of these places.
2: Yeah. And that was kind of, you know, just working with the space that we, that fell into our laps. Um, you know, originally, um, the concept was going to be built off of the original kind of tasting room we had, Mm -hmm. um, which is a recreated in that back space. Yeah. But this location kind of fell into our laps and we had that big open airy front room and we didn't think that it would translate well to that space. Yeah. It was. It's a very lucky accident because I'm glad it didn't. Um, the back room, it, you know, as you've been in there, is moodier. Mm-hmm. It's um, some people describe it as dark. I don't really think it is. To me, again, with my background, I, I see the interest in the dichotomy of things mm-hmm. and the duality of things. So it's kind of a room to me where nothing is really as it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, though that's a personal thing. It probably doesn't translate well to p- patrons. <laughs> um, but you know the darkness you know you're seeing all these brands that kind of you know focus on that sort of thing i just think it's kind of being overplayed right
1: now right it's scale. it's contrived in a sense yeah right? it's
2: very contrived and it doesn't and it's and it's weird because it's not it's not the story right you yeah, know yeah. <laughs> it's great it's almost
1: what's it's almost like a non sequitur yeah you know into the, the aesthetic you know one of the things i felt or i've perceived to be as a pretty common thread and so, so, so first of all we're, <laughs> We've been talking about Mezante quite a bit, which, of course, it deserves all the praise in the world. Pedro is an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. These beautiful products. Sipping this Tepe, the second release of that. But you've also brought some other Mezcals, and you're talking about one from Colorado that's a Tepe that you have quite fond of. But let's pour this, and let's talk about how you met the love of your life. Because it seems to be a very... Lee seems to be a very, very good force for you. And you guys have partnered in a creative space, and that's actually something worth talking about too—is working <laughs> with your spouse.
2: Yeah, that's... a uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting
1: one because I'm, you know, there's a reason why I, I want to talk about it because I've been considering it myself. But
2: sure, maybe you get some
1: cautionary tales. From me. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the. You know, before you guys were headed over here, you said, well, she's the interesting one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she definitely very much is the interesting one. Well, um, it looks,
1: you know, doing a bit of research on, on the both of you, it seems like it's a really cool mix because she has kind of a production and a graphic design background. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah.
2: So she was uh, in television for over 20 years. Um, and uh she just got tired of it you know yeah. she worked actually at the station here in austin oh i didn't know that yeah the fox station downtown. Oh. so she was the design director for the fox station no downtown. Way. yeah and uh you know it's that industry and that her position there you know it it's changed so much yeah and they're going to these corporate hubs for graphic design and right. stuff like that um and i've is a pretty terrible company to work for anyway but um but in general television graphic design is you know she just kind of saw the writing on the wall yeah one is like i need to do something else you know but she's always been an artist she's a though she'll never admit that (laughs) (laughs) she's actually a wonderful fine artist oh really um yeah and uh though she doesn't now now her her creative expression is through her food you know i mean she's always been an amazing cook and um she runs our kitchen there at Los Alamos and even though we oh, have I didn't know that. That's, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. which happened by accident. I see. Oh, and I can tell you that whole story. But um she um has never well no, none of us had ever been in the service industry in any capacity yeah. in our lives. I, like I said I was an antique dealer my whole life. Um she was a graphic designer and uh, our partner was in sales. Um so but he had his family has a background in spirits, um, with uh, Maker's Mark oh, whiskey. Yeah.
1: Oh um, wait, I recognize that last name. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly.
2: So uh, even though he had a background, you know, familiarly yeah, in spirits, he never was part of that business, right? Um, but he had a great knowledge of distillation, and that's kind of why he fell in love with mezcal. Is just the weirdness of you know production and everything sure. like that. I fell in love with it through cultural means mm. i used to buy and sell you know mexican antiques and folk arts and um that's what i fell in love with mexico and the people of mexico first yeah. and foremost um but back then you really couldn't get good artisanal mezcals in no so States. that's a perfect segue so so as
1: an analogy or as a metaphor for small graphic designers now having turned on because they're using these big corporate things Mm -hmm. we're kind of seeing a similar thing in mescal right brand names aside blah, blah blah. i think we all know which few we're talking about but there seems to be this play to try to commercialize mescal and make it something sustainable is not part of the vocabulary mind you but just something that you can sell a whole lot of for a whole little bit of money and that kind of flies in the face of what we're sipping right now which is a guy who I guess is very, very passionate about mezcal in Colorado, and he says these are the I want to bring these amazing mescalas in. Mm-hmm. And this is the Tepestate or are displaying. hmm This is tep tep. Yeah. And yeah, what's and what's the gentleman's name again? In Colorado, uh, Reed Spear. Yeah. Is and you definitely. were drawn to him because he's got a legitimate passion for it.
2: Well, honestly, we I didn't really know anything about him. We just met online, and um, just like I network with a lot of industry people. Sure. Um, and then uh, he happened to be in Oaxaca when I was down there. Uh, so we met there and, and, and we had a whole night of conversation and stuff. And, uh, after talking to him, you know, again, like I said, so many people are trying to get into the business that you tell me you have a mezcal brand. I'm just like, yeah, okay. You know, (laughs) um, but after talking to him and seeing that he was serious about it and, you know, he, he actually had a, a good, um, grasp of knowledge Mm. of ancestral and and artisanal production um you know i started to pay attention and then he sent me a couple sample bottles um i mean
1: i can smell this tepestate from here it smells crazy man yeah it's i i mean not what i thought because it's got nice tropical fruit smell to it but still the very very rugged and almost smokiness it's very very interesting and i can't wait to sip it but so here you know this is the hope of it Mm -hmm, right is that there are some guys out there women alike right yeah that have the ability to say no there's some batches and this these can't be massive batches probably less than 500 liters or something 200 liters see exactly yeah so why are they doing it not because they're trying to make money but
2: because i think it's a passion project for him and and that's the thing it's you know i'm seeing mezcal's break off into basically like i said nightclub style Mm -hmm. you know cocktail mixers um and then you have a few people that are trying to bring in the beauty and diversity of of production throughout mm. Oaxaca and Mexico. So
1: was well, it damn fun. I even like the salinity at the end. It actually mm-hmm. covers about three different it's it's a trying a trinity. Hits a lot flavors. of notes there. Yeah. That's yeah. very cool.
2: And I expect to get, you know, interesting flavor profiles off of a uh, Sylvestre. Um yeah, yeah. But the Espadine is really what impressed me. Okay. Uh, so we're going
1: to... Th- th- this will be a third chapter we have
2: to try this Espadine because normally Espadine
1: is pretty white bread, right? It tastes sweet. It's good. It's well, you know, uh,
2: and as we talk about production ramping up and, and, and the business and stuff, I think, you know, you get a commonality of Espadines, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, some brands are bringing in, you know, Espadines from different villages and stuff like sure. that, that that definitely have uh, hints of terroir and hand of the maker and uniqueness yeah. to them, but... You know, uh, and I know that we as as mezcal lovers kind of fetishize sylvestres,
1: even though it's pretty damaging.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, we do. Well, they're yeah. I mean, it's going to disappear. Right. I mean, let's face it, it's going to go away. Um, At least true sylvestres. I mean, we will have semi, you know, semi-cultivated agaves, but I think as far as like foraging for Mm -hmm. you know it's only a matter of time i mean if it keeps going like it's going and uh the popularity keeps growing you know those that that's just going to be gone
1: absolutely at least on the general market you know or
2: import market i think
1: how do you feel about the you know one of the things when i do these interviews when there are notable people in the agave industry i want to include everybody to talk about it i'm not passing judgment you know everybody's got different style of business different collection of passions and all that but I want it to be a conversation because the more in touch we all are as a community, I think the more responsible we'll be, and ideally the more transparent. What's been your just general perception and reaction to the community of Agave folks, from the guys that produce it, to the people that sell it, to the people that market it? Have you felt it's been a pretty nice, inclusive and diverse community?
2: I think it's definitely diverse. Um, I think that there are Uh, as we just spoke about there are people that are in it for the money and then there are people that are in it for the passion um so i think you're going to find a pretty wide scale and then there's people that start with a good heart (laughs) right and then you know the realities of business are such as they they are that you know things change um and one thing that was very important to us um in the small part that we play is supporting the brands and the people and the producers that are doing it right and well. Yeah. So, you know, brands that have, and that's why we chose our well is because the Mescalero is part owner of the company, you know? So as the fortunes of the company grows, so does he, Mm. uh, so does his. And, you know, he's not tied into a contract where he has to produce a certain amount for a certain amount of money, no matter what the cost of his, of his, uh, agave is oh, it's, yeah. right. and it's just going to go up i mean you know yeah these the, such a long growing period even for the the and sure. gustafolia oh, yeah. that you know it's it's only it's only going to go up um especially as these big players get involved and start buying up more and more because they can the afford resources. to just take
1: those resources out of out of the game right yeah i it's mean a strange and, thing
2: and that's you know again i spoke of dichotomies before it's like you know, it's just the nature of business. I think sometimes that you commodify something and, you know, you're trying to make money. I mean, you're spending money yeah. and you need to make money on
1: it. Do you, you know and understand that probably now more than ever, right? That Definitely. you've got people in and out at the door. Yeah, I, I read a post about rain really being a big factor and kind of keeping business out of there. Oh, yeah. I, first, what are some of the tenets for you for the products that you carry are there requirements or things that absolutely you will not carry for particular reasons
2: yes what are some are. of those reasons so industrial produced masks. so okay mainly it's mainly it has to do with production Sure. Um, but it also has to do with ethics so it's um you know again how they treat their people mm-hmm. and the other Part of that is their sustainability programs. Mm. What are they doing to um, to guarantee longevity? Sure, you know. So uh, more and more brands we see are doing, re- you know replanting programs. Yeah. Again, I mentioned this. You know, semi-cultivated agaves. Mm-hmm. Um, the Arwell brand, Gracias a Dios. Oh, cool. Uh, they have their program where they're using the bagazo and the vinazas for making adobe bricks Bricks, perfect
1: for reheating and such or for
2: buildings for building yeah Yeah, so they're they're all the buildings on the palenque are made from these bricks Uh, and it's kind of cool because if you plastered over them you'd never be able to tell what they were but they've left a lot of them exposed so you can actually see the fibers in the the bricks it's really neat and they're going full solar uh, a few years so they've they're really taking the sustainability thing like I think a lot of people now are giving it lip service, sure. um, but it was nice to go down there and see that that's actually, um, you know, being implemented yeah. and has been implemented. And since it basically costs them nothing to make these bricks, they're giving them away to you know villagers. Perfect. Yeah. So. Yeah, I like
1: those efforts a lot. You know, yeah. uh, there's another company of oh, Sombra. At least Richard had mentioned that they're working on that project as well to get that stuff done. But at least. We hope it's not lip service and there's a bigger movement around using these materials in multiple ways. You know, one of the things I think that we benefit being in the States is we can get higher education. We can dive into engineering and Mm -hmm. understand the details of it. And that is, I think, a competitive, not a competitive, that is a responsibility for us to at least share some of that scientific findings, right? Because... When you think about a process, this is the whole thing that big companies are built on. Is right? How do you make the process very quick with as few errors as possible? How do you reuse as much stuff as possible? You mm-hmm. know, And these are actually, maybe in certain contexts, we think it's really just for capitalistic priorities or whatever. But you take it to Mexico and say, well, actually, this is a process. We can get all this stuff back in and not waste it. Build buildings, use it to reheat, make sure the water's clean. I think that that's one of the obligations that we have is having... Access to better education in this states, and I I don't hope that's not you know reappropriating. I think that's more like mentorship and th- that kind of stuff.
2: Well, with Gracias a Dios, I mean the the own it's not a foreign owned brand. Ah, so uh, Oscar Hernandez, the maestro, is yeah. part owner of the company, but Jaime is also uh, Mexican national. He's mm. from Queretaro. So, um, and maestros if are nothing if not innovative That's and point. clever sure. yeah and as you know course, as right? you've yeah. seen these amazing stills built from radiators and tree trunks and stuff like that like yeah. uh i think that they're they're very much uh an, an innovative group of people mm. um so you know we do benefit from education but so does a lot of Mexico, yeah. and there's engineers there, and 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 what's kind of cool about that company is that it is a, a Mexican company, yeah, rather than a, an American company that's basically, you know, contracting somebody down
1: there, right? Yeah, I think maybe I lose track because I think of that the how isolated some of these Palenques are, and Definitely. those those particular communities and neighborhoods don't always have the easiest access to greater education and potentially the feeling of responsibility and maybe obligation to work for the family instead of going off that's there's a huge dichotomy yeah and so i i just wonder if there's more things we could do in the, the ways of education just to share across but to your point if it's wholly mexican owned yeah. they seem like they've got a bit of opportunity and a bit of access to do that stuff
2: yeah and you know i, I think one of the the positive things about the growth of the category has been to allow people if they want mm. to stay there and participate in their ancestral business yeah uh, instead of going off to do something else now if they want to go off and be an engineer or whatever yeah that's great um but you know the fact that they don't have to do that that they can actually stay at the palenque and and learn you know this this ancestral knowledge of yeah. passed down and and make a good living at it like that's the most positive thing that we can do. Yeah, that's as, a great point. Yeah.
1: Do you find is there does it a, does it go against tradition and culture to try new methods of production?
2: Well, I, I mean, I think that that's not an easy thing to answer right? because I mean, again, I think that they're they're innovative people and they've constantly mm-hmm. been upgrading production you know Mm -hmm. um for whatever that that means to them um i think that they definitely um are innovative and so that is part of the culture is innovation you know i mean they moved from clay pot stills to copper pots right you know um so is that wrong no um it's not ancestral but but that's but
1: that's i don't I like the difference between both.
2: You know, it's nice
1: to taste the influence of copper on distillate. Indeed.
2: Yeah. And I I think that just creates a more varied market. You know, I think that, that we get caught up in the romance of it Uh, (laughs) a lot of times, (laughs) you know what I mean? And like, and I talked to Jaime about this too, and he had a really good point. He was like, you know what? It's really about balance. Yeah. And um, it's about doing something right and well Mm -hmm. uh, and doing it the best way that you can do it. Um, So while they're, not an ancestral brand yeah um although they do have a cool project that they're working on um you know it's like how do you ramp up production to supply satisfy demand without losing the essence of the production and the spirit right um so that's kind of the hard balance you get there
1: and i think think it's you i think Everyone's completely capable of doing that.
2: And I don't Absolutely. If they want to. Right. For sure. Now if they just want to meet demand and grow that That's fine too. Yeah. You're going to column stills. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think
1: it's, you know, when we shifted from an analog world to a digital world, everybody is saying vinyl sounds better. And maybe that's true. But sometimes I want to listen to a song on the go. Yeah. You know? And so I think it's all kinds of different as long as it is honest, is fair, is made with quality. Consistency. I I really don't have a problem with those two different types of distillation clay and copper. Right. So then let's add one other caveat or one other variable to that. If people in North America in the states start to and we know that will and I maybe I'm a little bit responsible for this, but we're going to start making spirits from mm-hmm. agave. We have made some spirits here in Texas from sotol. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about what is a new chapter for distilling of ancient plants ultimately
2: well yeah i think you kind of know my position on that (laughs) is that i see mezcal um i see agave spirits and sotal as a cultural property Mm. as well as that's that's to me what makes it more interesting than a lot of other distilled spirits like whiskeys right basically you can make whiskey anywhere right Mm -hmm. um so to me what makes it unique and interesting and people have asked me about the Agave distillates made in South America, right? You know, I'm sorry, South Africa, Africa. No, even Thailand America. now, India too, India. Yeah, and you know, I'm not really interested in them. Yeah. I mean, that's just my personal, my personal perspective. Sure. Um, now they're not calling them tequila or mezcal, so right. they have a DO for protecting that, and I think that's respectful. I'm not saying nobody can do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, from a personal standpoint, I'm not interested in those. Um, I do think that there is. Uh, a morality issue um with taking away from something that people have produced for generations and were actually persecuted for producing and sure. murdered yeah. Oh, yeah um in in an area that doesn't have a lot of economic opportunities
0: yeah
2: um so i you know to me when you talk about so and, and so production we had this conversation online mm. um you know, when, when Americans jump in and start to basically jump in on the rising popularity of that Mexican spirit. Right. Uh, I think that that's immoral. Yeah, Personally.
1: it's a that's certainly a misappropriation. You know, I mean. I, I feel. But, you know. but then one of the things, I guess, whatever my, I don't think it's a moral argument, but my intellectualized argument for, for me was that I love what they do. And I don't care if I make money at it. I just want to learn from them and try to interpret what beauty they've been able to create in the way that only i could but it's not about me but but it's about the ability to feel inspired by somebody and somehow putting out your art too so you know we there's obviously some other texts but for me it was just can we do this thing and can we pay respect and tell them and ask them and say we're doing this as a collaboration almost you know Mm -hmm. and then release it that way it's more like a you know like a super limited not for money i would have given it away that wasn't yeah you the right, just you know you
2: produced like one it's one two, batch two batches, of that, batches two batches yeah. of that yeah
1: yeah i mean we're talking like under 250 liters and stuff and it was just a project to to see if we could do it if somehow everything that i felt about those spirits and i had learned maybe we could add to the conversation in a positive way mm-hmm. that was the difference you know Whereas yeah. I think that there's a little bit of a different game with some of these other folks nightclubs at all. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we don't have to mention brands, and that's fine. But. Yeah. It, 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 in fact, the rep for that came in the other day. Yeah. I gave him, yeah, about a half an hour, 45 minute lecture on <laughs> ethics and morality. Yeah. I just, you know, I just look at, and, and again, I'm not coming at this from a producer standpoint yeah. or somebody, and, and I could see why it would be cool somebody to want to try to do that um or a business standpoint even to me it's it's a it's it's a cultural issue Mm -hmm. um and 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 it it becomes a moral issue just when you look at what you're if if you're doing this not as like a pet project to do a couple batches of to see if you can do it and it's just kind of a cool thing but to actually market it Mm -hmm. and to jump on the coattails of people you know of the spirit that that people are becoming more aware of yeah um you know, all I got to do is look at who it's taking away from. Yeah, and, for sure. And um, the, the people I've talked to in Chihuahua, um, you know, they don't really have a problem with so much people doing it or producing from Sotol. Yeah. Um, they just don't want it called that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and it's a weird kind of thing. Whereas, you know, uh, mezcal is called mezcal. Mm-hmm. Tequila is called tequila. It's not called agave. Right, right. Whereas Sotol is called Sotol. Sure. So it's named after the plant rather than you know, deriving the name from a region or, a, or um, you know, an ancient language. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really know what the answer to that is. I, it's a good conversation is what it is. Yeah. You know, for now, so. and
1: the new NAFTA updates to the agreement that potentially could shift the, the recognition of that. So, and those have not been fully released and vetted out yet. But that's something that could change. Yeah. It, shows, it was omitted in the or mid-90s on purpose for whatever reason. I guess there was no economic viability to the category. Mm-hmm. So once there's dollars in play that's when it becomes an issue right and so maybe now there's enough economic power of the category that they will be more protective about it which they would rightfully have the ability to do yeah and yeah. i'm fine i'm totally fine with that
2: yeah it it just you know like i said i, I see i see these spirits and, and what makes them so special to me is it, when i drink them i feel like i'm drinking a culture mm-hmm. that's what i tell people mm. when i first had an art- on Mezcal, The richness and complexities of the flavors Mm. brought me right down to mexico and it's a place that is so rich and varied in in cultures and Uh um like i said it's like living in technicolor yeah um you know i become kind of protective of that i know but at the same time i'm commodifying it myself
1: yeah it's really tough because we as white dudes let's put it what it is with good facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> we have a responsibility to be balanced and be conduits and spokesmen for the people too. You know, and some of the folks in this industry they become a little dogmatic and make themselves the figure and that eclipses the people they're actually making. So there's a there's a good balance and there's one that we really have to strike as people that, that may not I don't even want to say influence, but just that people want to talk to you about it and that maybe have a voice in this whole conversation
2: right yeah well it goes from being just a private consumer to somebody that's actually disseminating information that's exactly it, yeah and um it's a burden i mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's something that i'm very conscious of and um i really want to do do the right thing i want to do the right thing by the producers um and you know the maestros and maestras those are my heroes like, I look at what they do, and it, it just never ceases to amaze me. Mm-hmm. And I am I think they're the ones that should be celebrated. Um, you know, that's always been very important. To I mean, that's how
1: the going. lead distillers are here in Bourbon now. They're becoming rock stars, if you think about it. Yeah. These
2: guys go on tour
1: and stuff. Same thing with the maestros and maestras, you know? Yeah. So... We got two more two more topics I want to talk about. I really want to you've you've really talked about this Espadine very fondly, so let's try that and then let's talk about I did skip over my wife part though. I'm sorry. we'll cut back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's something about a loving relationship, something that's very connective that powers me to do better work. Powers me to be a better man. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're gonna to sip to this espadine, which is to your point, gonna be something funky and different and kind of exciting. I'm just curious how this whole love affair began
2: between you and Lee. Well I'll tell you she was married to my good friend. Whoa, really <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Still it's a not. Good as, friend? What's it? Still a good friend. Still a good friend. Okay. Cool. Now, um, it's not as lurid as it sounds. Um, they had split up, and um, her and I fell in love. Uh, we fell in love basically over the phone.
1: No kidding. We, Where was she living?
2: She was actually at this point living in Florida. Okay. In Miami, Florida, and um, you know, her and her, her their relationship deteriorated, and, and they got. They were divorced. Mm. Um, and then, you know, her and I had been talking quite a lot. And um, I'd just fallen in love. And um, we, the most time we had yet spent together was when I flew out there to pick her up and we drove back to Phoenix. Mm. So you want to talk about trial by fire. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like a road <laughs> trip. We really hadn't spent any real time together. Um, you know, these were all just kind of conversations yeah. on the phone. How did you know
1: um, do, do you know that there's sometimes there's a moment where we realize that we've loved somebody? Mm-hmm. Do you know what that moment was for oh, yeah?
2: What was it? I can pinpoint that. And it was just during a conversation on the phone yeah. one time. And we're, it just came like it was like a dam breaking, is how we describe it. Yeah. And, you know, we just started professing our love for each other and talking uh-huh. about that. And it was just like, Oh, okay, well, what do we do with this now? Um and again we had physical barriers you know she was all the way across the country and there was also you know she had been married to my friend yeah um and so i guess there's some kind of you know negative
1: it's a there's there's a little bit of an air of negativity or at least an air of drama yeah i mean i
2: guess so yeah so but you know uh, i live my life uh because it's the one i have to live i'm not going to you know I mean, I'm not going to say I'm going to do something (laughs) that's uh, immoral or something like that, uh, you know, uh, but just because I want to. But I'm not going to pass up something um, because somebody else might have a dim view of it. So
1: thank goodness, because that is what allowed you guys to have this love for almost 20 years now, right? yeah well married for 20 years oh, wow. um,
2: we were actually together longer than that amazing so um so yeah so i flew out there picked her up and we drove back had this wonderful road trip yeah stopped in new orleans stopped in um texas stopped in san antonio yeah. stayed stayed there right by the riverwalk and uh you know continued on back to phoenix and then um you know i think that one of one of the things that makes it so, so so successful is the fact that we don't take each other for granted. So mm. she has, um, you know, health issues that she's had since she was a child. Mm. Uh, she's a double transplant recipient back wow. in two thousand three. Um, and you know, I think we just tend to take things for granted. And when you take things for granted, you know, you start to behave differently towards things. Yeah. So if you don't know that something's going to be there tomorrow you know, the silver lining of all those, those, those health issues is the fact that, um, we have a very strong relationship because, you know, and it, it, the fact of the matter is I'm, I could be healthy as, as a horse and walk out and get hit by a car. Right. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. no matter what your health really is, you don't know how much time you have, yeah. you know? Um, again, my father was diagnosed with cancer last Christmas day and now he's just gone. what kind of cancer was it pancreatic cancer which
1: so so quick yeah Yeah. it was
2: horrifying this last year has been horrifying and um you know it's fine i did laugh about it though because i was like i never realized how much the pancreas would play into my life with my wife's juvenile diabetes and then later taking out her kidneys you know, and then my father's pancreatic cancer. Like it just, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those organs you don't think about.
1: Right. Well, it's not very big.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> until, you know, you have diabetes or whatever. But, um, you know, it just has played this massive role in my life mm. now, um, aside from my own functioning. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, uh, we just, we don't take each other for granted. Um, you know, we, we do everything together. Um, we've been working together. And this project, yeah, it's the first time we've really ever worked together. Uh, she always had a corporate job because mm-hmm. of healthcare. Sure, um, it was actually it was when uh, Obamacare passed is when we she resigned from television wow. and went on her on own. So what, we're
1: talking two thousand eight, yeah, ish, something like that, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah,
2: however long it was ago.
1: So then there has to be a moment where the relationship's very strong. Mm-hmm. You both appreciate each other respect each other which is very important too and you get this idea to open a bar <laughs> right I mean, what was going through
2: <laughs> what's going through your head well you know her and i had a, had a shared passion with for mescal sure. she, she loves it as well she loves mexico culture just as much as i do mm. and the art of it and um we we the first time we went to oaxaca was to go to mortos and mm. um also drink copious amounts of mezcal but we didn't go there specifically for mezcal um and uh we started with just basically a group of friends Mm. and we would all get together at each other's houses and everybody would bring a bottle so it was a really you know cost-effective way of trying a whole bunch of different mezcales um without buying 30 bottles so
1: yeah what do you think of that, dude i mean this nose is brilliant you know what's funny? you talk about. Mmm. Mm. So, this, I call it the sparkly Skittle thumbprint. thumbprint okay. <laughs> because it, it's so beautifully punchy and just the effervescence of like tropical fruit, citrus, you know? hmm. The Gracia Adios, their cuiche mm-hmm. has that same sparkly thing. And so, I love that. It's one of my favorite notes of Mezcal. Yeah. Alapus San Andres has it as well. And it's. It's Just man, this you cannot get this flavor anywhere else. I've never tasted it ever outside of a mezcal. so yeah. So basically, what you were doing is what we're doing, right? Yeah, I got some bottles, you got some bottles, try this. We all got together,
2: we all you know did tastings. How big Um, was the group? Would you say it got up to be about 20 people, I'd say, right around there? You know, at some of the dinners, sometimes it was as little as four or Mm -hmm. five. You know, this was always a very communal thing for sure. us everyone asks me what my favorite Moscow is and i always tell them it's the one i'm sharing with somebody for sure you know i don't yeah. care what it is well within reason but you know to me it's it's a communal thing it's it's about more than the spirit and yeah. i think that that's what i love about it it, it, it transcends the spirit itself absolutely yeah. so whether it's culturally or communally um there's something about it that lends itself to that
1: it's very special. Um,
2: yeah. So, you know, we started as this group of friends and, you know, the host would cook and um, everybody else would bring a bottle and we'd all share and, and inevitably getting completely hammered by the end of the night. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to say it was a very, <laughs> I'd like to say it was a very, you know, uh, 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 dignified event. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the night, uh, you know, bottles end up on the floor and stuff. But sure. um, uh, it, We opened a, a small tasting room yeah uh i'll i'll say yeah (laughs) and um kind of built it out ourselves Uh, one of the members of the group had a a small commercial space that was available 600 square feet i think um but you know it had no running water uh (laughs) basically had dump buckets and stuff like that um but we we just did kind of this small little little room and that became the genesis for Las Almas. Yeah. And it, we call it a shrine of the spirits of Mexico because this room was set up like a religious shrine. So part of my own collection was religious antiques and Mexican wow. antiques. So, you know, we have saints in there, um, a lot of folk saints and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, that that was the genesis for it. Mm. So um, that didn't last very long. Um and then we decided we're like, well, maybe we should do this for real. And we started looking because there really was no place in Dallas. No, there's yeah. Like it lagged behind. You know, we had lived in Austin and there was, you know, a few places that had you know, Bar Legal was open sure. when we lived here. Was the, the
1: Tobala open when you were here?
2: Uh it opened towards towards when we had were leaving. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. kind of the latter part of our yeah. of our uh, residency here. Um so but there was nothing in Dallas again but some restaurants that might have one or you know a small selection and we really wanted to open up a reflection of what we had found when we were traveling through mexico Mm. um, and really just have a great room to drink in Um, and then as part of doing that you find yourself as this caretaker of (laughs) certain aspects of it that you would have never even imagined i mean it's not like opening a whiskey bar or you know any other kind of bar that you can open i mean there's responsibilities sure, there. um and a lot of it's fighting stereotypes a lot of it's educating the public yeah. as to the category um but it's also you know i found that there's a lot of places and people that are doing it now in the united states that are trying to make it um kind of an exclusive thing ah yeah, you know what nice. i mean i call them the pinky razors you know it's like <laughs> it's like drinking wine you know yeah. and it's like i And this just comes from me personally. I would rather drink red wine with French workers and, like, you know, in tasting rooms in the fanciest places. I don't like Psalms, man. I'm just not a fancy guy, you know.
1: (laughs) You can be cerebral and not have to be fancy.
2: Exactly. You know what I mean? But I think it takes away from one of the essence of the spirit in that it's a very celebratory spirit. Yeah. Even though we're trying to distance people from, like, slamming tequila shots and, you know, that whole cultural, you know, college culture thing here in the States. There's something that's very ser- celebratory about the spirit. Absolutely. And when you're in Oaxaca, when you're in the it's cultural context, when you're in, in C2, mm-hmm. well, not the, the mezcaleria, but the whole state mm-hmm. and other states in Mexico that produce it, you can really start to understand it. I think like everyone asks me about success and I said, my greatest success is to inspire people to go down there and, ex- and experience it mm-hmm. in its cultural context. Um, and we just recently went down there in October,
1: which I want to talk about one of the projects you have, which looks incredible. Yeah. And
2: sorry, good. Oh, it's, uh, so I brought down two of my staff members, uh, one of them who had never been in Mexico, anywhere in Mexico Mm. before. And, you know, we're walking down the street in in the city of Oaxaca and there's a parade as you find a lot there. And she's like, what are they celebrating? I'm like Tuesday, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's just people in their (laughs) traditional weeples and they're like, dancing and they're sharing mezcal with you and i'm just like now do you understand yeah you know it's incredible so you know we can sit here and 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 go into flavor profiles and all yeah. this very cerebral thing but there's a part of it that's very elementary very um uh it's almost guttural yeah yeah and, and that's
1: why this is a beautiful category Indeed, so you can romanticize about Building this amazing place to experience mezcal, which you guys have done, but the realities of operating a business—how is that setting in for
2: you? <laughs> well, it, you know, it's something that, as I mentioned, none of us come from the from the hospitality from a hospitality background. Yeah. So there there are great challenges to that, and also the fact that we're a boutique place. Mm. I mean, we're uh you know we're a niche bar. Yeah. We we're not going to get the, the kind of business that a you know a, a vodka soda bar is or right. a club in, in Dallas. You know, um, I have been very happy about the reception we've had. And um, you got the Eater
1: Award this year too, yeah, which is great. The Eater Congratulations,
2: for best, best bar in Dallas. That was a surprise and amazing. Um, and I will say I'm very happy that by sales, you know, our number one selling item is a cocktail. Mm-hmm. We have a small cocktail menu they're all spirit forward cocktails dallas is a cocktail town it's just economics you have to have it i'd love for people just to be drinking (laughs) the spirit neat sure but it's not just me drinking there so you know our our most the largest selling item is is a cocktail but the second is one of our flights Mm. so that to me again surprising but also very heartening Mm -hmm. that people are interested in drinking it neat and our flight program's been a huge tool for us. That's great. It's been great. It's been great for educating the public. And also, it's been a great tool for us to learn about the individual yeah. and where they want to go as far as flavor profiles go. So, they're all been developed to yeah. basically show people they either, you know, the, some of the range of flavor profile you can get. Obviously, when you're just doing five pours, mm-hmm. it's a very small range comparatively. Um, but, does get people out of thinking about this as tequila's smoky cousin. Yeah, you
1: crack the door. And so they want to peer in. Yeah. And that's all you want to do is just invite them in. And then if they like it, even just one of them, like, oh, actually, you can just shift the perception just a little bit. And this is the thing about flights is the margins are relatively good. You can guide someone through something based on their own particular kinds of preferences. That is the key. And I think you guys get that when you're talking about doing consumer level classes, one-on-ones. Yeah. These flights, that's how you really expand the category. Bring people into it instead of raising your pinky, <laughs> right? And yeah. being so exclusive and trying to protect it. Even the people like Esteban uh, Morales Caribe, mm-hmm. right? He still want he wants everybody in. He's tired of just people being dogmatic and super preachy about them. this guys like just 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 drink it, enjoy it. Yeah. And that is in essence the main or the best way you can approach mescombe. Indeed. And you know?
2: yeah, like I said, I think you lose something when it, when it gets too totally. exclusive. Yeah. I mean, we, we can recognize it as a beautiful thing as a, as a work of art. Yeah. Um, but everybody needs to enjoy it. And Absolutely. that's part of, you talk about the economics of running a bar. It's like, we need to stock a whole back bar with a range of price points mm-hmm. that everybody can, can have access to no matter what your socioeconomic level is. Totally. I want everybody to be, be able to come into Los Almas and, and be able to drink something yeah. and drink something of quality. Um, so from our well to, you know, the rare bottles, there's going to be something for everybody yeah. in there. And I've even refused certain people uh, pours of rare bottles. Really? Just because, you know, they were showing off or whatever. Yeah. And you know, it's like, no, I'm not going to sell you. Wow. If you don't appreciate it, then you know you can go to another bar and get your bottle service. Uh-huh. You know, so that's probably not good business. But it I'm preserves not really,
1: at least the integrity of what you're trying to do there.
2: I mean, I'm just not—I don't come from any uh, business operation from a traditional standpoint, whether it was yeah. antiques or mezcal, um, and it's probably hurt me. But you know, it also makes it some, something different. Yeah. And I think that one of the successes of of Los Alamos has been that people know it's different Mm -hmm. you know dallas is a very wash rinse repeat type of town that's what my partner taylor always says and a lot of the places that open there and there's great places there
1: yeah
2: yeah Uh, a lot of them though are run by corporate conglomerates Mm -hmm. and they're 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 their new concept you know las almas isn't a concept you know it's a passion And, um, you know, we are an an integral part of that because we're always there. We're always talking to people. That's something else that I've had a lot of feedback on that people really like Mm -hmm. is that the owners are accessible. Um, And, you know, of course, we will talk ad nauseum (laughs) about our passion to people until I see that glazed over look in their eyes. (laughs) You know, when I'm going into the difference between colloquial and binomial names or agaves or whatever, like you start to... Mm -hmm. You, you start to see that glaze over. It's like, okay, we'll just drink. <laughs> you know, try this. It's delicious. <laughs> you know, at some point, you know, there's, there's that. Um, but, you know, I think it's a place that a lot of people feel comfortable in. One of the things that's most satisfying to me is to see the wide variety of our patrons. Yeah. Again, every nationality, every ethnic background, every socioeconomic level, every sexuality like yeah. everybody feels comfortable in there and everybody gets along it's amazing um you know i've seen tables of strangers sharing flights of mezcal mm. you know and they'll get excited about it and they'll start talking to complete strangers um the original thing was very communal mm. so um we we you know i mean there's some limitations of that in being a, a commercial space but we but stayed pretty to true to it. it we tried yeah. you know we've tried um but you know it is a business in the end yeah. and um you know I don't you know we're just kind of trying to suss it out and making mm-hmm. mistakes and you know that's how Lee ended up running our kitchen because uh, we we hired a guy uh you know this place fell into our lap and it had a kitchen that was built out oh, with nice. TI yeah. so um tenant improvement um funds from the landlord but part of our lease was that we had to utilize that kitchen mm. Uh, we never wanted to do a restaurant or any kind of food service. Like, we wanted to have a couple of food items available just from a responsibility background. Sure, I mean, if sure. you're having people drink the loose spirit, gone away, right? yeah, I mean, you just want <laughs> yeah. put something in people's stomach. Yeah. So, we were thinking about, you know, outsourcing tamales or whatever. Um, and, you know, this fell into our lap and it had a kitchen. So, you know, we're like, well, we're already doing something. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. We didn't want to do two things. Mm-hmm. And with a restaurant, you know, no matter how good of a cook you are, you can lose money real fast on sure. that if you don't know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. So long story short, we hired a guy to come in and basically deliver us a turnkey kitchen. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, we didn't hire the right guy and he ended up was stealing meat, of mm-hmm. all things, um, and um, he uh, basically left us high and dry when I was in Mexico and... Um, took his wife who helped him in the kitchen so we basically lost our kitchen staff our Mm. chef and he took all the recipes so um Lee basically stepped in and uh started running the kitchen we never closed the kitchen for a day so she basically reverse engineered everything she could that's amazing um, just from flavors and um you know we have a very simple menu there we Thought we were challenging people enough on the spirit level of it that, and we wanted that to be the star, right. that we wanted to keep the food simple and solid. Um, so street tacos, quesadillas, mm-hmm. that sort of thing um so but she's also added some of her own stuff onto the menu we've kind of had some fun with that as well you know not being a well
1: she's creative i imagine she'd have some liberties there yeah
2: and you know we've you know for like fourth of july we did sonoran hot dogs which are something from yeah yeah, my neck of the woods which is just this kind of weird regional thing Mm -hmm. and um you know we did uh since we're right across the street from the fair uh and it's affected it's a state fair and it's it's affected us so much in the past that we decided to do our, uh, basically a Mexican corn dog, oh, nice. which had a chorizo base and, you know, house made corn batter and stuff. And, you know, we called it's it fighting corn shot, dogs man. with corn dogs. <laughs> 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 and people were really upset when we were like, yeah, no, this is a special. It's not going on our oh, menu. You no. know, we're not, you know, it's not going to be available all the time. Plus yeah. they're a pain in the ass. But, um, but so we, you know, we have fun with the food more sure. than anything. No, and I mean,
1: it's, it, Makes a lot of sense and I, I think that it's just this perfect creative accoutrement to the Mescal itself gives you a lot of flexibility too.
2: Yeah, and it keeps people in their seats and mm-hmm. you know, and, and and again it's the responsible thing to do when you Absolutely. have people drinking. You want you want them to be putting something in their stomach. So the real value add for it has been um, to keep people in there longer i think the average stays between one and a half and two hours oh, for fine. people and you know we serve everything all at cart so they'll eat a, a couple tacos and then drink some more and then eat something else yeah. so there's no it's not like a plate it's you know sure. uh, course service um but you know when we first opened we kind of got pitched as a, a restaurant and mm. you know it's funny when you open something to the public the public ends up defining you
1: absolutely
2: and um you know we had a lot of kind of well people didn't know what the hell we were in in the first place mm. you've seen the facade of our building it says right. "Mescaleria" across the front which was important to us to put that up there and um but there's no other kind of descriptor other than our name and you know i think that people were kind of confused as to what we were at first yeah. so um you know some people thought we were a taqueria uh, which we weren't you know we're like no we're not a restaurant at all we are a bar we just happened to serve some badass food. So uh, we've been working to redefine that ever since. It's tough,
1: but, you know, one of the things I think we, we were talking about innovation, right? So the, the last two questions I've got for you one is you were in Mexico, as you kind of alluded to, working with Gracias Dios out there, Palenque. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you brought a brisket out there. Yep. And that you potentially are going to release a pachuga.
2: We are, indeed.
1: How does one get their hands on such an amazing. Monumentous event.
2: As, <laughs> as this. You know, Jaime was up uh, in at los Alamos and we were kind of chatting with him, and and uh, we want we really wanted to bring some of our staff down there. Like yeah. I said, to us, staff education is very important. We have a weekly class where they learn about all different aspects of Mexican spirits. Yeah, um, but again, until you go to Mexico, I feel it's very hard to understand it. Right. Um, so you know we. Had, they flew basically uh, myself and two two of our staff down there, and we had ta- we were talking about doing uh, a cool project, and we decided to do a, we're like let's do a pachuga, yeah, and um I don't remember who it was, but you know we were like well let's do uh you know what's endemic to Texas like barbecue, right, you know let's do something that's non traditional, um that uh basically what it what it ended up being is kind of a symbol between our people. You know, the people of Texas man. and the people of Mexico. Yeah. And in this day, in this political climate, we felt that it was really important um to to have these symbols. Mm-hmm. Um so we actually packed up yeah, our friend uh Brandon Mahone, who does uh, barbecue pop-ups all over Dallas, he smoked a brisket for us and we hand carried it down there and we made a pachuga. We mm-hmm. went to the mar- mercado in Tlacolula and picked out prickly pears and all kinds of chilies and, um, corn, um, uh, cause it was around Dia de los Muertos. Um, and just all the ingredients to put in the busto and, uh, hung the brisket in there. And Dude, uh, when's that ready? Uh, it's ready. Now. Well, so we we're releasing a, a small amount right now, a few bottles. Um, I can't remember how many bottles, but I think like, I can't remember, mm. but we're holding, uh, a bunch of the batch back to uh basically rest for a year and oh pass. nice so i have had it i had the puntas yes <laughs> which were awesome um and it's it's the deli- I, I think it's delicious yeah i mean it's very fruity very fruit forward um and and just kind of very
1: unique it's amazing
2: and, and it was just kind of a cool like i said it's a cool project between our, our people mm. and you know to us it's very it was very important to we didn't want to remove something we didn't just want to take something out and 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 forget about everything else about it yeah. you know what i mean it's like you you want to celebrate the culture uh, that produces it and the producers of it
1: i love this concept of collaboration and unity across multiple cultures is something i've been fighting for for quite some time and i think this is actually is a project i wanted to do myself to be honest here in town but i think i'm so glad you guys were able to do that and i i will do whatever it takes to get a bottle of this thing I know a guy. I, I hope I hope we both find <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, it's emblematic of what really needs to be happening, right? And reaching across the aisle, if you will, reaching across the border and all of that. Especially now. I mean, like, I, like we guy. said, you, got,
2: you can build all the walls you want. We'll build bridges. That's right. You know, and, and we're going to keep doing that. I mean, it's something that's, you know, people always say that as a business, you need to stay away from politics. And there's definitely logic to that. Sure. But I think more and more, uh, as it becomes more evident to people how important it is, mm. um, you know, we don't want to be defined by people whose views we don't share right um, as Americans. Um, and um, you know, it's Mexico has always been very important to me. It's, sure. it's in, in an important part of Arizona. it's it's enriched our culture. Uh, greatly yep. in very many ways Um and it's something that I'm highly appreciative of It.
1: me too I, I appreciate your efforts in it too thank you so the, la- the last question I've got for you and, and I maybe have an idea how you might answer this but so you are at Las Almas mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what mascot you're sharing but any that you prefer and you can have a conversation at the bar with anybody living or deceased who would you love just to sit there, wax poetic, talk about life, and have a sip with?
2: You know <laughs> oh, I'm so terrible at these questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know,
1: it's one of those things like, how you feeling today,
2: you know? Honestly, right now I just would love to talk to my father.
1: Yeah. Did he ever drink musical?
2: Uh, he he tried it, yeah. yeah. I mean, he wasn't a big drinker at all. For sure. Okay. You know, he, he had tried it when I got into it. But, you know, for me right now, that's the most important person that I'd want yeah. to speak to again.
1: That's oh, a beautiful sentiment, man. You know, I only recently had the opportunity to drink with my dad. You know, he was mm-hmm. drinking for a long time. And I know that uh, my answer is going to be the same, you know. So we've managed to sip through some brilliant mascales. Talk about your life, talk about your love, your passion, and all of this, and Shad, I'm so glad you were in town, man. Thanks, that man. we could finally Thank make this happen, having... and I'll be in Dallas soon enough. Visit you guys again every time I'm there, I, I go, but awesome. just haven't made a trip trip here recently. But thanks so much for taking the time out. Yeah, yeah, Sip pleasure. Soon. Be great. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. So, what do you guys think? If you had a chance yet to go visit Las Almas Rotas in Dallas, it's a great spot. Chad's doing some wonderful work over there with his partners and his wife, of course, Lee, but. It's good to have a very strong agave community in Texas, and I think that Dallas needs that too. I think we're doing some great work here in Austin, Houston, of course, but it's really good to have this kind of community, and it's really interesting to hear about Shad's story and all of the things that he's done and kind of how he arrived at Mezcal again. It finds you, right? I keep seeing this. It's becoming a cliched topic or a cliched saying, but... You know what? Mescal found him and it found me. Hope it finds you too. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how you're contemplating seeing scary stories to tell in the dark the movie this weekend. Or if you're thinking, man, I don't really want to go to Moonshine up north, but they do have some great bourbon selections. Please, keep dancing.